author. Uh, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for this day. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to focus, Lord, that you would help us, um, Lord, to, to look at this text. Father, we need your help. Um, Lord, we ask that your spirit would illuminate its meaning. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord, that we would um, allow the scripture to speak to us. Father, that we would hear you um, through these words. Um, Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for this season. We thank you for Christ. Um, We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. So let's start by reading Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in, his, in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Annas told me, Gunner, that's a great psalm to preach on Christmas, the day after Christmas. <laughs> Anytime you have corpses in the text, you know, it's not your ideal text. Um, the understanding this psalm becomes a little bit difficult, and mainly it's following who's talking to who and who's saying what. So to help us get our minds around this psalm, the first four verses, it's we're eavesdropping. Now, eavesdropping is kind of frowned upon, but if we all kind of admit it, we all like eavesdropping. I mean, it's one of those things you get somewhere, you hear somebody talking, and it's interesting. Uh, you know, I found myself in the in, in the in uh, the court waiting room in the last few weeks a couple times. And man, when people were talking, it's like, man, what are they here for? I really, just my curiosity was getting the best of me. But this one, it's okay to eavesdrop on. And this is a picture David prophetically is able to eavesdrop on this conversation that happens at the future for him between the father and the son. And the first four verses are him just hearing this conversation which occurred following the ascension of Christ. From earth to heaven. And then verses 5 through 7 are David, it's David speaking to the Father. And so the, who's hearing it and who's speaking kind of shifts. So it helps us to kind of follow the train of thought. Um, this psalm is difficult. This psalm, we could literally spend probably a month or two months or three months kind of following rabbit trails. But, we, but I'm not going to do that. We're going to kind of do the flyover. I want to work through the text, uh, but the main verse I'm going to focus on is verse 1, and that's where we're going to kind of depart at the end to kind of look at the New Testament. How did the New Testament authors see this text? And how does it relate to Christmas? You know, we celebrate the coming of Jesus, but in the scope of eternity, the birth, the life the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, 33 years in the scope of eternity is like this. I mean, it's, it's faster than that. So, so to try to just focus on one element of it, when, you're, when the birth is one thing, but then when you see his life and everything that followed it, it's, it's a full picture. We can't really exclude one from the other. And so this is looking towards the end of his life. And the first verse says, 
uh, the Lord, that's Yahweh in Hebrew, says to my Lord, Adonai. So it's the father saying to the son, and this is what he says to him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so we see the coming of the Lord throughout this psalm. One thing I want us to kind of get in our minds, we celebrate Christmas with this cute little baby that's in a manger and there's a glowing mother staring down and there's the kings and there's all of the people around. And then he came and he lived a simple life. He was born into a poor family. He died a shameful death on the cross. And and, and much of Israel was confused. They were expecting the Messiah to come that was going to reign and rule and dish out some judgment like we read in Isaiah. But it was different. He came. He suffered. He Isaiah 53, which they didn't understand, that he had to come and suffer and pay the penalty for our sin. And it's this big, like almost a U-turn from heaven to earth back up to heaven. Does that make sense? So he's, Jesus is in heaven. He comes to earth. Then he goes back. And he's going to come back. But when he comes back, he's not coming like a sweet little baby. He's coming with the power, authority, and holiness of heaven. And things are going to be different. And so as he ascends into heaven, the Father says, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, the heavenly city of Jerusalem. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. See, just here, these four, we could, I mean, Melchizedek is a guy who appears in Genesis 14. This is before the law, appears to Abraham. And he was king of Salem, which became the city of Jerusalem. He had no known parents. He had no relatives. He, he kind of was this eternal king. There's a lot of mystery surrounding him. And then the father tells Jesus, well, you're going to be of that order. And if you go into a study of Hebrews, which could take years, this Melchizedek and Jesus being like Melchizedek starts to unfold. But we're not going to do all of that today. We're going to keep it short and sweet. I'm trying to keep myself on a timeline here. Um, but here the father promises Jesus. He's been through the suffering. He's, he's been exalted to the right hand of the father, awaiting the time for his second coming. And after David sees this, he says, the Lord is at your right hand. So he says, he gets this picture and he says, Father, I see the Messiah at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. We've been studying Isaiah all year long. And when he comes, nobody is going to be exempt from his consequence, from his rule, his justice that's coming. Only those that have believed in him have been sanctified through Christ. Kings aren't going to be exempt. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And there's this picture of that story in Gideon when God says, well, I need you to find warriors. And if they put their head down at the brook, they're out. And I think he ended up with 400 to 300 guys, a small, small number. Was I close? 300. Okay, perfect. 
But the guys that were the warriors that could stay, when they came down, they kept their head up and they brought the water to their mouth. And so here's this, some have alluded that this is a picture of Gideon, that David's kind of alluding to this, that he, when he sits down, he's going to just bring the water to his mouth. And so looking at this, I, it's, it's the day after Christmas. There's a lot of people here that aren't used to sitting through stuff, and I want to kind of, how can we make this most palatable? And so I want to kind of look towards the New Testament. I have all the verses up here. So the, the first place we see this, what, what we're going to kind of go with these verses, this psalm is quoted everywhere. And if you have in your Bible like a sort of a reference system to, to cross-reference other places in the Bible, from Psalm 110, verse 1, you'll see that it's quoted in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Hebrews, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, Romans and Revelation is kind of so it's all over the place and Hebrews comes up throughout all of this psalm. And so I'm kind of piecing through. I'm like, well, how can I get this delivered in the most like the bread on the bottom shelf that's understandable? So first we want to look at, well, how did Jesus use this verse? And when we look at how Jesus uses verse, it cracks me up and I hope it makes you laugh, too. Then from Jesus, we see right after Jesus ascended, the early churches formed. We looked at the sermon that Peter preached at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 last week. He uses it at this, at this sermon to kind of show, listen, we all saw him ascend. This psalm points to the Messiah will do this. So he is the Messiah. And then we look at Paul in Ephesians and Paul to the believers early on said, ah, you, you've believed in Christ. You have the spirit within you. You're sealed until the day of redemption. And then he prays using this verse that we would understand as believers that this power that ascended Jesus into heaven, referenced in Psalm 110, is within us. And then he goes on in Colossians chapter 3, which we'll look at. He says, you know what? He references this verse. He says, Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so that's where our minds need to be in the heavenly places. That's our dominion. That's where we are. We're here as ambassadors, but we're going to go to heaven one day. And so we need to start living and thinking according to his kingdom now. And then finally in Hebrews, where it's hard to kind of bring this to this. We're going to look at, you know what? Since Jesus conquered death, he was the Messiah. He paid the perfect atonement for our sins and he's been ascended into heaven. We can approach him with confidence. We don't need to be ashamed. He understands. And so we're going to, that's kind of where we're going. And I'm going to kind of move quick. Um, so I gave you the Cliff Notes version up front. So let's look at Matthew chapter 22. This is where Jesus quotes this, this psalm. As you're finding it, or as I'm finding it, I'm going to try to find it and talk at the same time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then we get into Acts. Thanks, Romans. So in Matthew 22, verse 41, Jesus has been out about. The scribes, the Pharisees, have been trying to trip him up with questions. The Pharisees see that the, the, the Sadducees had asked a question and he'd stumped them. And so they, they pulled their brains together and they said, okay, Jesus, we have a question for you. Of all of the law, all of the commands, there's 613 commands in the Old Testament, according to Jewish scholars. Which one is the most important? And Jesus says, ah, that's easy. And he points to Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema. He says, to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, my, all your being. Every 
a Jewish house will have a little box on the front doorway and it will have the Shema there. It will be right there. To love the Lord God with all your heart. You go to Israel, every single door has it right on the doorpost. And he says, and the next command is to love your neighbors yourself. Upon these two hinge all of the law. This is the law in a nutshell. And they think, whew. Well, he got us. And Jesus says, well, I got a question for you guys. And that's where we're going to pick up. So in verse 41, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. He says, what do you think about the Christ or the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, you guys all know that the Messiah, it's been talked about since Genesis chapter 3, that a Messiah is coming. The king of Israel is coming. Whose son is he going to be? It's easy. They said to him, the son of David. Of course, King David, it was prophesied that it would be David's son. And so he said to them, so Jesus looks at them and says, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, this is Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? So Jesus looks at them and says, well, you guys said that the Messiah is going to be the son of David. Now, David in Psalm 110, when he's looking to heaven, he sees the father. He says, I see the Messiah, my Lord, sitting at your right hand. Now, this is King David. Nobody was above King David except God the father. And they said, well, it's going to come through your lineage. So David's like great, great, great granddaddy. And great, 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 great granddaddies don't call their grandkids Lord. It's the other way. And he says, well, how does, how come David calls his son Lord? And I love their response. No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. No more questions for the Messiah. They were furious. They ultimately, we all are responsible. It led to his death because his claim of deity. He pointed to this verse to show that he was God. Now we go over to Acts chapter 2. This is 50 days after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He, he rose from the dead. He walked the earth for 40 days. Then he ascends into heaven. They watch him float away. They're still staring there. Go, now what do we do? Two angels appear and they say, what are you guys looking at? And I love the questions in the scriptures. Like, hey, guys, we just saw Jesus go up into heaven and be received in the clouds. That's what we're staring at. They said, come on, guys, just go to Jerusalem, wait. And so they wait 10 days, then the Spirit comes. They start speaking in languages that were unknown to them, so all of the people that had traveled from around the world could hear the gospel in their native language. A bunch of skeptics arise. They say, you guys are all drunk. And Peter says, no, it's 9 in the morning. We're not drunk. This is what the prophet Joel said, that you'd receive power, and it would make itself manifest in your lives. And then he points to Psalm 16 and he says, listen, I think it's Psalm 16. My memory's right. I think it's what we looked at last week. And he said in Psalm 16, it says that the Messiah, that he would never see decay. And we know that David died and is buried to this day. We can go down and see his tomb. But Jesus rose from the dead. His 
flesh never saw decay. We saw him ascend into heaven. And then he gets to this verse. Verse 33. I have to get to the right page here. He says, uh, verse 32, this God, this Jesus, God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. He said, now that Jesus is ascended in heaven, he sent his spirit. And this is what you're seeing. You're hearing the gospel in every single known language of the people that are here. And it's the manifestation of the spirit in our lives. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, he says, it wasn't David. But David said this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. So he ends with the psalm and says, listen, the Messiah has been exalted to the right hand of the father. And then he doesn't stop there, but he's about to stop. And it's my favorite ending to any sermon in the scriptures. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, who you crucified. And this thousands of people. This is the guy that 50 days earlier, a 12 year old girl comes up to him and says, now, aren't you with Jesus? And he starts swearing and runs off. No, I'm not with that guy. I don't even know him. And he swears in order to show that no no guy that follows Jesus would be cussing. So he starts cussing so that he doesn't get in trouble. Fifty days later, following the resurrection of Christ and the ascension, he's a different man. Ultimately would go to his death testifying of this truth. And he just stops. He says, you killed the Messiah. We all did. We see it in the God. It was Gentiles. Everybody has a share in, in the crucifixion because it was God's plan to pay for our sin. And they're stopping. Well, what do we do? Now, at this point, I want us to go over to Ephesians. Let's go over to the to how does the Apostle Paul use this verse? Ephesians chapter one. We're going to keep moving towards um, the back of the Bible or to the right. Now, Paul, Ephesians, I think, is one of the best books in the Bible because it covers, in, in six short chapters, you can read this in about 15 minutes, it covers about everything. First three chapters are all about doctrine, what God has done for us, the truths that we uh, embody as Christians. Then the last three chapters are the meddling section. This is where it starts, you know, getting personal and, and messing with us. But at verse 13, I kind of want to start here. It says, in him, that's Jesus. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The gospel is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it says that Jesus came. He was executed on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And he did this for our sins. That's the gospel, plain and simple. So he says, you heard this truth, that Jesus came. He paid your debt for you. But just because he did it, did it, doesn't make it effective. He goes on to tell you, well, how do you become a Christian? Simple, one word, believing. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. And then he starts going on to his prayer. 
He says, for this reason, verse 15, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which existed among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom, of revelation, and the knowledge of him. He says, you know what? When I pray, when I think of you, I'm thankful. And I pray that you would understand him, that you would know his will more. That's why we study this, the scriptures, because the Bible is God's revealed word to us. And if we want to know about him, we study this. And this is why we put great emphasis here on the scriptures. He goes on to say in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He, he says, when it comes down to like your inner being, your heart, your innermost feelings, who you are at your core, I pray this for you. I pray that your heart may be enlightened, that you'd have understanding so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. He says, I deep within that you have the spirit within you, that you have this power within you. Now that you're a Christian, now that you're sealed for the day of redemption. And then then he starts thinking about this power that's within us. And he's getting to the verse, Psalm 110. Towards those of us who believe, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come, he has put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is in his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Put that real short. He says, I pray that you are Christians. When you're a Christian, when you believe that Jesus died for your sins, he rose from the dead, and you believe upon that, we're told that at that moment of belief, you're sealed in the Spirit, you're baptized. It's, it just happens. And he says, I pray that you would understand God's will. And to know that the power that's within you is the same power that not only raised Jesus from the dead, but which ascended him into the right hand that seats him at the Father. And when he comes back, he's going to reign and rule. That power is within us today. As Christians, it's in us today. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know how it works. But it's amazing. Like, there's nothing more powerful to me than seeing a changed life. There's all kind of external evidence about Jesus. The case for Christ has all, you know, historical data, evidence for the early church and the evidence that Jesus rose from, all of this stuff. But to me, to see a drunk guy whose life was out of control, have it turned around, and now he's a pastor in front of you talking? Man, there's, no, there's nothing more powerful. We were kind of talking. My wife's mother, my, well, it's my mother-in-law, my wife's mother. She made the kind of the family that's still there yesterday say, let's just kind of share what your life would be if you weren't in Christ. So they started talking. They telling all their stories. It's kind of funny to hear their stories. And then Anna looks at me, she's like, it's no fun for you because we know he'd be a Navy SEAL, you'd be drunk, you'd probably be divorced by now, who knows what else. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here because I believed. And God's been working in my life. Statistically, I shouldn't be happy married. I'm coming up next month, I think, next, 
Well, we're not quite there yet. I'm already in January. But in February, celebrating my nine-year anniversary. Happily married. Not perfect marriage, but happy most of the time. You know, we have our moments. We all have. Nobody's perfect. But, you know, in general statement, we're very happily. We have two beautiful little girls. And I shouldn't have it. But it's the power that's within me that raised Jesus from the dead and ascended him into heaven that's making all this possible. It's not anything I've done. All I've done is messed up my personal life. And so this is what Paul prays. Let's move on to Colossians. Paul, again, keep going to the right. You'll pass Philippians. You'll go to Colossians chapter 3. Now, this is more of, last one was more of illusion. Paul took Psalm 110 in Ephesians, and you could kind of tell it wasn't like italicized or bold. It was just there, but it's the verse. He was kind of doing Paul's translation of that verse, and he scattered it in to the meaning. And the same thing here. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. He says, listen, our king, our God is in heaven, the right hand of the father. And on earth, there's sin, there's pain, there's suffering, there's all kind of stuff. That God is going to deal with in his time. But for now, he wants us to repent and to turn to him. And he says, as Christians, we need to keep our minds above. We need to keep our minds. He's going to establish a kingdom one day here. But we need to prepare ourselves to live like that. We're ambassadors for him. Moving on to Hebrews. Towards the end, I got, I'm going to wrap up here. Pretty soon. We're, we're very close to the end. Now, Hebrews is kind of tricky for me. There's a lot of text here, and I, I'm afraid if I read it all, I'm going to get distracted, so I'm not going to read it all. Okay. Hebrews has disappeared on me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 is kind of the beginning, the context of this. Um, the, the part I'm not going to read is dealing with Melchizedek referring to Psalm 110. So in chapter 5, verse 1, all the way down to verse 10, are dealing with relating Jesus to being of, of the priestly lineage of Melchizedek. That he's different. He's not a human priest that was appointed. This is a heavenly, eternal priest. Jesus is different from any sort of Old Testament priest that we've seen. I'm going to begin and end at the same spot where where we're going to end it, like verse 14 of chapter four. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our fast, our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here's this big, U, this big U-turn I'm talking about. There's Jesus in heaven in eternity past. Genesis chapter 3, a promise is made that through Abraham all nations will be blessed, that the Messiah will come. And here we read that he passed through the heavens, came to earth, lived a life 100% as man. He chose to be mad. He emptied himself, the kenosis. 
And this is encouraging. You don't think that Jesus understands what you're going through? We're told that he was tempted in all ways. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus lived a life. He was a man. He was tempted. He was without sin. He never sinned. And then he ascended back into heaven at the right hand of the Father. And so from his earthly ministry, when you're going through hard times, Jesus understands. And he says, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. He was man. He had weakness. He struggled. But he never sinned. And he says, because he lived his perfect life, because he paid that penalty for our sin, now that he's at the right hand, a place that we should have fear of going near, when you're talking about the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything that fills him, he says, don't be afraid. You can draw near through Christ to find mercy. Mercy is when you deserve something, punishment, and it's withheld. That's not getting what you deserve. And it says that we may receive mercy. See, we receive mercy in everything that Jesus went through on the cross, we should deserve. That's what was coming to us. That penalty that he paid was our penalty, but we received mercy, and it was placed upon him. And we may find grace. That's getting what you don't deserve. Receiving the Spirit... Having life eternal. We don't deserve this. If we start talking about fairness with God, you don't want to go there because it's not good because we deserve punishment. So we can draw near to him. And skipping down to verse 11 of chapter 5, it says, Concerning him, we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So he says, listen, we have this great gift. We have power within us. Our minds are to be in heaven. We should be growing in our walk with the Lord. They said, you're, you're, not, you're not growing. And so I'm still having to dish you out milk. And that's, that's why it's so important. You know, this, we're, I'm done. I'm, I'm done here, so you guys are all good. It's, um, we want to study the word. This year, we've, we're celebrating the coming through the Psalms. He came, he suffered, he rose, he ascended into heaven. We've received power. Next year, we're just going to look at the life of Christ, going through the gospel. What did Jesus talk about? If you're struggling with believing all this, I encourage you, take a case for Christ. It's free. Read it. Study it. Help, help strengthen your faith. So the first thing that I see in like our point for today is we're, we're, we're told to believe. Believing is the only requirement for making yourself right with God. You believe upon him and what he did on the cross. Then we receive the greatest gift of all. Relationship with God, forgiveness of our sins. And this forgiveness leads to worship. That we exalt him. And so normally we do our music beforehand. And, and we're going to do our songs now so the worship team can come, come up. I, I like to mix things up so we don't get stuck in a rut. And so if you're not a music person, I'm sorry. But, but, but music is not about performing. It's not about like going to a rock concert and just like, oh, look at how good those musicians are. They made me feel good. Worship in this setting is about worshiping the exalted God. See, it's not them putting on a show. It's us singing to him. And so we're going to worship him today. We're going to exalt him.
So let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the Messiah who came. Lord, we thank you for the prophecies that you provided thousands and thousands and thousands of years before he came. And Lord, that only the Messiah could come. There could be no counterfeit. And we thank you for the miracles, the power, all of the things that Jesus did, Lord, during his earthly ministry to authenticate who he was. We thank you, Lord, that he went to the cross on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that he rose from the dead three days later, that he ascended into heaven publicly in front of all. And so, Father, we pray for those that are in this room who are still struggling with their faith. Father, we pray that you would guide them on this journey, Lord, that they would receive salvation in Christ. And, Father, as we close, we pray that this time of worship would be sweet to you. Father, we pray that you would help us just to worship you with all of our hearts. Lord, help us not to be concerned uh, about those around us. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Please stand as you're able and join with us. And it's okay to put those hands together. Mm -hmm.